I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 115 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. Okay, dads, this will be my final podcast of what has been a truly amazing experience for me. I have an awesome father to bring you guys today. He is a man who went from broke to being worth $100 million in just five years. Definitely somebody we all stand to learn a little something from. Joel Marion will be here in just a minute, so please stick around for the interview. And please stick around for the conclusion of today's episode. My family and I would like to sing a little Christmas carol for you guys to kind of put the nail in the coffin on 2018 here. Thank you so much to all the listeners out there. You guys really inspired me at times this year when I felt like I should just give up on the show. Your comments, DMs, and emails have done more for me than you could ever imagine. In 115 episodes, I have spoken with first-class fathers from all walks of life. I've had the opportunity to speak with NFL Hall of Famers like Deion Sanders and Kurt Warner, Navy SEALs like Rob O'Neill and Jason Redman, best-selling authors like Brad Meltzer and Sean Parnell, successful entrepreneurs like Ed Milet and Bedros Koulian, A-list actors like Dean Cain and Max Martini, YouTube stars from the Holderness and McClure families. I've been able to have a politician father, a gay father, a divorced dad, a dad who's buried a child, Christian dads, Muslim dads, Jewish dads. I've done my best to cover a wide variety of fathers, so there's a little something for every dad who tunes into the podcast. And a few of you guys have asked me, what does it mean to be a first-class father? Where does the whole first-class fatherhood title come from? And I would like to share that with you guys here on the final episode of 2018. There was a movie made in 1940 titled Brother Orchid, starring Humphrey Bogart and Edward G. Robinson. In it, Robinson plays a gangster who is on the lam, and after being shot multiple times, he winds up hiding out at a monastery run by a bunch of brothers who take him in and nurse him back to health. But while he's there, he observes their way of living. He observes their way of life. They live a simple life and provide services to other people and ask for nothing in return. And this whole lifestyle is very strange to Edward G. Robinson's character. But after a while, they get him healthier, and he returns to his life of crime in the underworld. But at the end of the picture, he returns to the monastery where he announces to the brother superior that he would like to stay and become just like one of them. And he says something to the effect of, uh, Brother Superior, all my life I was a guy who was looking for class. I thought that class came in nice clothes and fancy cars and high society. But I found something out. This is the real class. You people. And I think in a way the first time in our lives that we really understand the true meaning and feeling of what it is like to serve other people and put someone else's happiness ahead of our own is through fatherhood. There have been billions of fathers on the planet, yet we still cannot explain the feeling of fatherhood to somebody who has not yet experienced it. Being a father gives you a first-class ticket to life's journey, but we are given a choice to get on for the ride or turn your back on it. My suggestion, and the suggestion of so many high-profile fathers that I've interviewed on the podcast, is to cash that ticket in and be a first-class father. So that's basically the gist of it, folks. I'm going to smack you guys with a quick little spot right now, and I'll be right back with Joel Marion. I'm Alec Lace, and you are listening to First Class Fatherhood. (music) 
I cannot say thank you enough to all the listeners out there. You will hear a word from my sponsors in the middle of today's interview. If you would like to help me make First Class Fatherhood ad-free, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by hitting the link in the description of today's podcast episode. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a first class father. He is an American fitness entrepreneur. He went from being broke to being worth over $100 million in five years. He is also a five-time best-selling author, also a certified sports nutritionist and personal trainer through the International Society of Sports Nutrition and National Strength and Conditioning Association. It is a great privilege for me to say, Joel Marion, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to pick my brain a little bit on a very important topic, and it's a pleasure to be here. All right, Joel, let's do this. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? I have uh, two girls, which was kind of my dream uh, growing up as a as a teenager. When I started thinking about having family of my own, I, I really had in my heart that I wanted girls. And uh, I was blessed with, with not one but two, um, just, just the two kids, and, and that'll probably be it for a little while. Um, five and seven years old now. That's awesome. What type of uh, sports or activities are they into? My uh, seven-year-old went to basketball camp uh, this past summer, and she really took a liking to that, which makes me proud and and excited because I, that was my upbringing. I uh, I played basketball all the way, you know, from six years old all the way until I graduated high school, and then decided to hang up my shoes, but. Um, She's, she really enjoys that. My other one is uh, she does dance and gymnastics, and she seems to be gravitating towards those types of activities um, that are more solo, uh, not, not necessarily like the typical sports that you would think of as far as, uh, you know, soccer, baseball, basketball. But for her age, um, I think it's those are those are kind of activities that uh, are piquing her interest at, at this age, and who knows what's to come. But she's having fun with it. All right, cool. Now, do you get involved in the coaching at all, or do you cheer the girls on from the sideline? <laughs> yeah, we 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 do from, uh, from the sideline. Uh, you know, I have uh, my youngest, Gabby. Is uh, she just she does a little recitals and stuff, and she gets all dressed up, super cute. Um, but I, I have no <laughs> I have no dance coaching um, experience, so I can't I can't really get in there. Uh, <laughs> I do work I do work with my um, well, my older daughter, Lily, who's seven, is taking a liking to basketball. We do get out there and practice. Um, she she hasn't got joined a team or anything official yet. She's just kind of done some camps. And then uh, they at the rec center here in town, they have um, a class that she's getting involved with now. All right, Joel, please take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, so um, my, yeah, my name is Joel Marion. I uh, came up in the health publishing industry, uh, really started as a high school teacher. Uh, I taught health and physical education while I was trying to get my fitness business off the ground. Uh, I was a side business at the time. Uh, I was, I really backed up a little bit further in 2000. I was 19 years old in 2001. I won a contest called the body for life challenge. Um, body for life was a book that was written by Bill Phillips, who was kind of a pioneer in the fitness health and fitness industry. They had a magazine called Muscle Media 2000 at the time, uh, which later became Muscle Media. And uh, it was a very, very large global contest. And I actually won that contest in 2001 for my category, which was male, 18 to 25 years old. Um, that got my foot in the door of the industry, and I wanted to help inspire other people. 
uh, I wanted to, um, you know, kind of get back uh, the transformation that I had made for myself. I'm not somebody who was blessed with great genetics by any means. And to have learned proper training and nutrition stuff that really worked to get results, not the stuff that's in the bodybuilding mags where they've got, you know, these guys who are doing training two hours a day, but just healthy training and nutrition for everyday people that really works. And I wanted to help inspire others who may feel like they've been exercising for a while, they've been trying to eat healthy, but they're just not seeing the results. I wanted to give them, um, you know, some some better, clearer direction. Because I was very grateful when I found the book Body for Life. I was introduced to that book by a uh, by a, a college professor of mine at the time. I was a freshman in college, 19 years old. And um, that, that really changed changed my life from a personal standpoint, from a health and fitness standpoint. Um, and then I really got involved uh, and, and very passionate about lifting weights and even a little bit of bodybuilding uh, when I was in college. And as I was doing that, again, my passion was to kind of give back and help other people make the same transformation that I had made. And I started writing for Muscle Media, which was the partner magazine of Body for Life, and then Slowly but surely, I was getting published in other magazines. I was published in, uh, in a number of online magazines, bodybuilding.com and, and uh, shape.com and askmen.com and then a number of other print magazines as well. Um, and then I got in, uh, had, a, had a print book that came out. Fast forward a couple of years, I got into health publishing and uh, did that for four or five years. A gentleman that I partnered with, kind of interesting because as it came full circle here um the gentleman who i wound up partnering with in the supplement industry which is biotrust nutrition it's a supplement company it's been around for almost seven years now and uh we started that in late 2011 after i'd been doing ebook stuff for about three maybe four years uh, but i had partnered with my partner josh bazzoni on an ebook project and we worked together so well and he had um previously worked at EAS, which was a supplement company affiliated with Body for Life. It was Bill Phillips Supplement Company. So um, him having the roots of actually working in a supplement company, me being for Body for Life, we kind of had these uh, mutual ties back to Bill and Body for Life and EAS supplements. He wanted to get back into supplements. He, we worked together so well. He wanted me to come along for the ride. And uh, we've done that. We've, we've been very successful uh, company. We've we started with a team of eight people. Very quickly grew to over 100 employees and over 200 employees. Um, we went from uh, we were considered the, the fastest growing company supplement uh, company. Our first few years, our growth was just off the charts. We uh, we had some really explosive years in those early years, and then um, we were based on uh, stats from Nutrition Business Journal. We're the largest true e-commerce uh, direct-to-consumer supplement company in the United States at this time. So we serve our clients with um, not only health and fitness information through our newsletter, which goes out to over uh, 2.5 million people right now, but we also, uh, of course, serve them with the highest quality supplements that we can possibly produce. My partner and I believe in uh, all-natural um, just integrity and in how we operate the business and the supplement industry is you know it's in the name biotrust supplement industry has had a lot of problems over the years with um the, because of the way that it's regulated which is not like a, a pharmaceutical or a drug company but it is um 
you know, it's, it's regulated after the fact. Uh, so it's not, you don't have to pass inspection before you go to market. It's just, they pick and choose and they're finding all these problems with products on the shelf. And, uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of trust in the industry. So we wanted to come in and change that. Uh, we were tired of, uh, the the state of the industry and the fact that people didn't really know if they were getting what the label said and we wanted to uh, come out with products that people could use that could work and have the effective dose of every single ingredient and what, what it says we have in there uh, through lab tests we verified with every single lot that it does indeed have those exact ingredients and in the exact amounts the efficacious doses based on science have a whole research and development department and we really pride ourselves in uh being, you know, doing things uh, with excellence and being the best of the best that the industry has to offer. Yeah, you really have an awesome success story, Joel. Um, when did fatherhood come into the picture for you, and how did becoming a dad change your perspective on life? Um, well, I, I got married uh, in 2010, and then we had our first child in 2011, um, Lily. She's seven years old now. Uh, and then uh, about... Two years later, we had our, our second, uh, Gabrielle. And again, as a, as a teenager growing up, I I really uh, had in my heart that I wanted to have girls and I wanted to be father, a strong father to to girls who could, um, you know, be that father figure, that role model for them, um, show them uh, just the love that I would hope that you know, whoever they decide to get involved with later on down, down the line uh, would resemble the same way that I treated them and uh, let them know how important they are and want them to feel loved. And, you know, they're daddy's little girls to me. And, and, and although they are young now, I have a feeling that they will continue to be daddy's little girl well until their twenties and thirties and however, however long uh, in, into the future. But, um, when we had kids, it was, uh, you know, like, like anyone else with their first child, it was a, a bit of a, a bit of an abrupt change. Um, you try to prepare yourself, but as us fathers know and us parents know, you can't really ever prepare yourself. But once faced with the challenge, uh, there's been billions of people who have been entrusted with this same task over the years. And we, um, we learned on our toes and we figured it out. Um, it's, it's definitely a game changer as far as, responsibility right because you you don't have kids you wake up when you want to wake up you um kind of set the schedule that you want to set and now with kids it's different kids are up at 7 a.m then you're up at 7 a.m you know especially when they're young because they're fighting with each other or <laughs> you, you know getting into all kinds of stuff if you're not supervising them so um schedule definitely changed i was somebody who worked late into the evening uh quite a bit now i'm in bed much earlier so I can be up and have energy to spend time with the kids. I take my kids to school uh, every single day and drop them off, uh, me and my wife together. Um, but we also try to have that time to together with uh, my wife and I. We do have date night scheduled every single week, and we have at least once a week we'll also go out to breakfast after we uh, drop the kids off. So it's great uh, to have the mornings as a family time, and then we also I've also – uh, set aside that time, like come five, six o'clock, just around dinner time. I try to wrap it up for the day with work and then transition. And again, this is my schedule prior to kids was a little bit all over the place, very spontaneous. And when I wanted to work, when I felt like working and I had the liberty to do that, but, um, 
being a dad and wanting to be there for my kids and being part of my kids' lives just definitely caused me to, you know, and, and it's a good thing because it's caused me to be uh, a lot more structured in how I approach the day. Uh, so you had productive segment there in, in the middle after drop off until dinner time. And then I have uh, time with my kids in the evening. We do family dinners. Uh, either we'll go out, take them somewhere that they'd enjoy, or we'll cook at home, family dinner. Um, just the four of us most of the time with uh, me and my wife and my two girls. And then we have um, just some reading time, homework time now that the kids are getting a little bit older and they're getting homework. Uh, and we spend time with them until about 8.30 until they go to bed. And, um, you know, we have a well, – we, we strive every single day to have that quality time in both the morning and the evening as a family together. Very cool. Yeah, Joel, my family eats dinner just about every night when we can make it happen. I think it's very important. Um, all right. It's a blessing to be in a position to build a financial wall of security around your family, which is what you have done. Uh, but we see far too many cases of kids growing up with that type of financial security uh, choose less than pleasant lifestyles as they grow older. Uh, does any of that concern you? And what steps do you take to kind of counteract the fact that your kids will never have to really struggle financially in their lives? Yeah, so it definitely is a unique uh, dynamic and we need to be cognizant of it and aware of it and we do try to make sure that um, you know our kids are aware of the fact that they have much more they have much more access to much more many more experiences things um, materially speaking and opportunity than me and my wife had at, when we were growing up so we try to anchor them and, and let them know that you know this is they're very fortunate to have the life that they have to live in the house that they live in. Um, and, and they see the difference too, because, uh, as a young kid, um, this home is all they know. Right. Uh, and then they get starting to visit other friends' houses and they see that, you know, not everyone has as big of a house or has, lives in this nice of a neighborhood and all those things. And they start to question why. So we're having those conversations with them now that, you know, um, again, we've been very blessed to have what we have, and uh, through Daddy's work, uh, we're, we're able to provide some things to them. But at the same time, we need to be grateful. We need to be grateful for everything and not take it for granted because most people don't have access to this stuff. We had a trip. Um, the, the kids are very well-traveled. I mean, they've been all over the world. Um, they've been more places probably this last year than I was in my entire uh, adolescent life. Um, until I started business and was able to travel more. But we took them to South Africa uh, for, for two weeks this past summer. Um, we did as a family. We had some other families join us. And um, while we saw a lot of amazing things, and we, and we did a safari, and which they loved, and uh, spent some time in Cape Town, um, they also got to see when we were in Zimbabwe in the Victoria Falls area, some of the poverty in that area and we went uh into town to do kind of a town tour of how people how people live and we visited like a uh kind of like a, a town fortune teller and we just had some cultural experience there but they saw that these people were living in huts and they saw that they where they how they got their water you know and where they got their water from and man, they go to a well and that they didn't have the nicest clothes and they didn't have um, the same resources or the same shelter that we have. And, uh, there was an, uh, there was a time there where, um, my, my oldest was eating a lollipop and she could see that 
couple of the kids in the town were like just salivating over over the opportunity to have a, lo- a lollipop. And uh, when we talked to the mom that was there, we asked if we, it would be okay with her if we gave them some candy. And she said, yes, they ha- they actually haven't uh, had a candy all year. My kids, there's candy overload, you know, and, and we try to regulate their diet and stuff, but we still want them to be kids. All right, it is now time for a word from today's sponsors, and I'll be right back with more of the action on First Class Fatherhood. All right, Joel, you have found some success in the health and fitness world, but with all the diet plans and all the fitness gyms available, we still see a problem with obesity and poor health amongst our young people. How can we kind of change the mindset, or or what could be done to get our kids interested in health and fitness at an earlier age? Yeah, so we try to uh, uh, teach this with our kids as as well. Uh, it's, It's really about making health and fitness a part of their daily routine. Um, obviously we live in a very electronically driven, uh, day and age, um, probably even more so than when I was a kid and certainly more so than, you know, in the fifties or sixties. I remember when I was a kid, I was outside all the time and we just got health and fitness by playing. And that was the norm. We'd go to the playground, we'd ride our bikes to our friend's house and we'd be outside playing, running, playing tag and all these kind of outdoor activities. Nowadays, kids are consumed more electronically with TV and iPads and Netflix and all these types of things. So we try to have time every single day, like my kids, uh, as we speak, are actually outside um, playing. Uh, you know, my, my nephew is over here as well, and they're all outside. They have a, a little half-court basketball court on the on the property here and around their bikes. So they're doing a, a variety of activities, and... Um, Obviously, I could have just uh, sat them in front of the TV and said, you know, hang out with your nephew and watch some TV, but I encourage them to get outside. And through, um, you know, I think it's repetition and what you, what we are teaching kids is very important. Uh, if if every day it was just come home after school and it's TV time, um, and then I try to get them once a week to – break that habit and go outside, they would not have anything to do with it. But what we try to do is make the habit the norm, which that we want, that we want them to exemplify in their lives, which is to get outside and play. So when they come outside, now, I mean, when they come home from school, we send them outside as the first, first uh, thing that they're going to do. They're going to get some activity in beyond what they may have gotten at recess or something. And then they can come in, and obviously after dinner they they have some wind down time, and you know they'll they'll enjoy one of the shows that they like to watch or whatever. But we try to keep TV for after dinner. Um, I think it's important that we teach these kids to be active early. You know, NFL has uh, the play sixty thing, where everyone gets sixty minutes of activity a day, which would be great if we're able to do that. Uh, I feel again, I feel like when I was a kid, we had hours outside um, on a pretty regular basis, and then on the weekends it was like. You you go outside in the morning and then you wouldn't really be home until night and you're just playing outside the whole time. So we try to recreate some of the positive things that we had as kids. Um, even though we do live in a different day and age, we want um, our kids to be active and be healthy. The second part of that is obviously nutrition and um, why, again, I'm not one of these fitness guys who I have a friend of mine who like won't let his kid have ice cream or candy or anything like that. I'm not so rigid because I want my kids to have a childhood as well. But at the same time, you know, the kids know that they need to eat the the healthy food, their dinner, their vegetables first, and then the snacks are more of a treat 
for afterwards. You know, it's uh, it's not the main thing that they eat, but it's just something a little extra as a as a treat or as a reward. Um, and we focus on on eating healthy. I have my fortunately my kids, uh, we got them started pretty early on eating healthier foods. My they eat a wide variety of food. They eat seafood. They eat chicken. They eat steak. They eat avocados and, and vegetables and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I really do attribute that to the fact that me, my wife and I made a point to introduce these foods to them all the time. I think nutritionally speaking, um, in, in the current day and age, it's uh, simple parenting is to, oh, uh, we're going to go out to dinner and the kids and the kids order off the kids menu and they get mac and cheese or pizza or whatever, the same thing over and over and over again. Or we, yeah, they'll they'll make a dinner for the husband and the wife and then a separate dinner for the kids. And we steer away from that because we feel like, hey, if I'm giving my kids mac and cheese, chicken tenders, pizza, and they get used to that and that's the norm, it's going to be hard to break them of the unhealthy habits later. Instead, they eat what we eat for dinner. They eat the same thing. And we've introduced that to them at an early age and we feel that uh, it's been very effective and um, kind of – just getting them used to eating a wide variety of healthy foods, and then we save the we don't we don't deprive them of the treats, but we we kind of save those as an afterthought. Well said. Yeah, I think that's a great way of uh, handling dinner at a restaurant with your kids for sure. Um, I like that. Um, all right, what about discipline, Joel? What type of uh, disciplinarian are you? Are you a spanker, or a timeout guy? How do you handle discipline as a father? Uh, uh, well, uh, coming from a uh, biblically based Christian background, I'm not necessarily opposed to. Uh, the spanking. However, we do do it very, very rarely. Uh, if, if kid is very, very out of line, um, we may resort to that. But generally speaking, uh, yeah, get a warning. Obviously, you do it again, and it's timeout, and it's longer timeout, and then go to your room. Um, if a kid is being disrespectful or something like that while we are uh, in the middle of disciplining them. That's when you know we may we might be a little bit more stern and, and maybe throw a little spank in there, but it's not uh, you know I don't believe it as a, as, a, as for for some parents it's their first their first line of defense and their first go to is to spank kids and I think we need to have more patience with children um, and and give them an opportunity to learn to uh, because uh, you know one thing that we do as parents uh, well, I have two siblings and they're both girls and obviously they get on each other's nerves left and right all the time. And we teach them, you keep your hands to yourself and you don't hit. So I don't think it's a great example for us. If we were, Lily, you hit your sister Gabby, so we're going to spank you. You know, uh, it's not necessarily the best example to teach them the behavior that we want them to exemplify. At the same time, they know if they get really out of line or they're disrespectful, they may, they may get spanked and they understand why. But, um, again, we try and go, uh, we try and have the kids, um, just learn to self cope, calm themselves down, and they can do that in timeout and in their rooms. And then I will go and have a discussion with them or talk to them about exactly what they did, make sure that they understand before they resume back to playing. And then obviously, if it repeats itself over and over again, then they just lose more and more privileges. Uh, so I, I, we're, we're the parenting style that we do use timeout and, um, you know, putting the kids in their rooms to think about things uh, certainly much more than we do with corporal punishment and spanking.
Yeah, Joel, and I think that people forget, too, that people get crazy with this. I think there's a big difference between hitting and spanking your kids and beating your kids. I I think uh, beyond a certain age, uh, spanking your kids kind of loses its effect. But before they can really understand the heavy lectures or the stern talkings, too, uh, a spanking is is a useful tool, in my opinion. Yeah, so for for me, you know, I came from a household that had some some dysfunction and I would say when I was when I was a kid and like we would we would get beat with the belt you know as as a punishment for doing something wrong and that's not not an approach that I would ever take with my children I mean if they, in in the moment if they're very out of line I'll give them one good spank and that just tunes them up a little bit just pay attention to what I'm telling them and um, but you know it's not something that's going to be deliberate where it's hey bend over the bed and and then you're like literally inflicting pain on them. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not about that. I had my fair share of that as a kid. And, uh, I want that's not how we choose to, uh, reprimand our kids. Um, we have to teach, we have to teach these kids, you know, to be, to grow up to be the model citizens that we hope that they will be. And again, I don't, I don't think that them having any kind of memory of like me as a father and, and you know, you know, the, Deliberately inflicting pain on them is going to be a positive uh, memory to for them to be what I want them to be ultimately. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, Joel, you have a huge presence on social media, over a million followers on Instagram alone. Uh, but who do you follow and pay attention to? Uh, who, who kind of influences you on social media? Well, I am relatively new to social media. I grew it quickly, but uh, I've I've gotten to know quite a few people um, in the entrepreneur space. Our, our mutual friend Ed Milet, uh has been. Uh, a, a great mentor to me and also um, just a, a, just a great guy. And I know he's been on the show uh, before and that is somebody I really respect, especially given his faith-based background. I follow a lot of pastors as well. Uh, Carl Lentz is um, one of my favorites and a good friend of mine as well. Uh, Levi Lusco, Stephen Furtick. Um, these are John Gray. These are all guys that uh, I feel uh, – if I'm looking, if I'm scrolling through social media, I bet it'd be great to actually get some positivity, right? And that's what I try to put out there when I post and on my Instagram page at Joel Marion. And I try to uh, feed off of the same type of energy that I'm giving off, right? So I'm looking for positivity. I'm not following a bunch of accounts where they're going to give me garbage, but I'm following people that I feel uh, are going to really be able to sell into me a positive message, make me a better person, make me a better dad. Um, a lot of these pastors, friends of mine, are are also fathers, and I think they're very commendable in the in the manner in which they're uh, operating in their families. So I look to them as a as a definite example to follow. Yeah, I'd love to hear you talk like that, Joel. There is far too many people posting just poisonous material or just material with nothing to really offer. And it seems like, listen, I talk all the time on my podcast here that it seems like there's an assault on the family life and fatherhood in particular through pop culture with the movies and the media. And I honestly believe that if we just showed uh, family life and fatherhood in a more positive light and just promoted family values more uh, through all those mediums, we wouldn't see half the problems that we're seeing right now in this country. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, uh, we don't watch the news in this household. I feel sometimes I'm a little out of the loop, but if anything's that major, I will hear about it from somebody, right? Um, but uh, other than that, you know, we just try not to expose ourselves to negativity. You turn on the 6 o'clock news and you're hearing about all the all the negative stuff that happened in your area. They're very rarely are they covering a positive story 
it's so-and-so that was a murderer in Tampa. There's a this and that. And we know that those things exist, but that's not what we want to be filling our minds with. Um, I just had a guest on my podcast, Levi Lusco, and it was all about, you know, controlling our thought life and what thoughts do we allow into our mind and do we take inventory on those thoughts and do we ask qualifying questions when a thought comes in? What are we exposing ourselves to? What's our intake? And, you know, do we say like, okay, well, where is this thought true? Is this, is this thought wholesome? Is this thought taking me to where I ultimately want to go? When you think of thoughts as trains, uh, you know, and that's why you call them train of thought. You think of thoughts as trains, they take you somewhere. You take, you hop on a negative train, you're going to go to, uh, you know, uh, final destination that isn't necessarily where you want to go. Uh, so you have to take inventory of those thoughts as they're coming in. And I, we, we just try to filter the intake. We don't watch negative news. We don't partake in a bunch of negative back and forth on social media. Um, instead, we watch positive programs, uh, family family programs, um, tune into church, uh, and some, uh, some. My wife and I enjoy watching sermons from some of our favorite pastors. Even in the middle of the week, we go to church every Sunday. And uh, the more positivity and the more, you know, um, there's a Christian artist, Toby Mack, has a song called Speak Life, and the kids are actually just singing that at one of their productions at school. And I believe that the more life that we invite, you know, positivity that we invite into our lives, you know, that's obviously going to manifest itself in our lives as well. Well said, Joel. Yeah, I believe that. I, I try to tell my kids it's just important what goes into their mind as what goes into their body. They need to be the gatekeepers of their mind. Um, all right, Joel, the holidays are upon us. What type of plans or traditions do you have planned for your family this holiday season? Well, we'd like to keep it, uh, you know, with kids in school. Uh, fortunately, I'm in a position as an entrepreneur. My wife is no longer, she was a, still is technically an attorney, but she's not practicing anymore. It, it kind of pulled her out so she could be full-time uh, with the kids and take care of things at home. Um, but we do have the luxury of being able to travel quite a bit. Unfortunately, with the school calendar, we do not have that same luxury that we did when the kids were a little bit younger, kind of up and go whenever we wanted. So we're at the mercy of the school calendar, and uh, because we have Christmas break, spring break, and summertime, we try to utilize those times for travel. So this this year we're going to be going up to South Carolina. My wife's best friend is up there, and they have um, kids of their own, similar ages to our kids. So we're going to go spend some time with them, have a two-week break. We were just up in New Jersey visiting um, my family in uh, South Jersey for uh, the Thanksgiving break. They had a week off. In spring For spring break, we are going to go uh, take the kids and another family from the school we're all going to uh, Turks and Caicos, and then we we have several smaller trips th- throughout the summer, but one big one like we did to South Africa. So this break, we're going to head up to Charleston, and we're going to have some, uh, you know, we like to use the breaks for travel and have kids have uh, some different experiences um, that they wouldn't necessarily have, be able to have at home because the time that they do have to travel when they are in school is a little bit limited. Very cool. All right, you've had a tremendous amount of success already. What are your plans or goals for the future here? Uh, what's next for Joel Marion? Well, uh, we just launched my podcast almost, we're going on episode 11, released tomorrow. Um, so we're almost three months in. And that's the main focus of mine. The podcast is called Born to Impact. And it's really about helping people uh, live that life that they were born to live. 
And um, for me, that's a major focus of mine. I like to turn that into a live event. Uh, I have some big goals and big visions. There's a theater here in uh, downtown St. Petersburg that seats about 2,500 people that I'd love to have the first event there and then eventually expand to a university arena where seven or 8,000 people. University of Central Florida has a nice venue. And uh, by 2025, my goal is to have that event at the hockey stadium downtown. It seats 18,000 people. And to really impact people for, um, you know, just beyond this lifetime. You know, we impact people for eternity. We impact people beyond health and fitness. Uh, I feel um, all the success that I have had in the health and fitness arena, I'm branching out into more empowering people and, and bringing up this next uh, generation of entrepreneurs and making people realize that, you know, they do have potential. And most people settle for a lot less than their true potential. They want people to realize that they do have skills, they do have gifts, they do have God-given abilities, and God does have a plan for their life. And we like to ultimately see as many people achieve that plan and become that person as possible. Yeah, awesome. We definitely need more people like you out there influencing our youth today. Um, I'm going to include a link to your podcast in the description of this podcast episode. Last thing I'm going to hit you with here, Joel, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Um, you know, uh, new dads and about-to-be about dads, I would say this, and I and I tell this to anybody I know who maybe either wife is pregnant or having their first child, is that let's, let's, no matter what I tell you, you're not going to be fully ready, but just realize that uh, you will be ready once the once it comes. Uh, you, so, some of these things are going to require learning and action. You're going to have to actually be in, in the trenches of the job to really fully understand what's, what's there. But I do give people the, you know, as I said earlier, I do give people the um, the hope that, like, hey, there's billions of people that have done this job. Not all of them have done it well, but we'll, a lot of people have survived being a father, and a lot of people have uh, have uh, done it well. So encourage people to, uh, you know, rely on your spouse in a positive way instead of a negative way, to de-stress together, find ways to, um, you know, it's, it will present some challenges, but... Uh, the the biggest the biggest thing is that you re- remember that you and your wife are a team. You brought this child into the world together. You need to raise it together. And you need to remain on the same page. If you guys are at odds, it's not going to be a positive thing for the kid. And um, as long as you're approaching things as a team and teamwork with mom and dad, both uh, you know tackling raising a child together, I think uh, it's it's going to benefit not only the the child but obviously the marriage at the same time. Awesome, Joel. Great advice. I love your message. You are being the change that we need to see in this world. I really respect what you're doing. Um, And I got to say, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Yes, absolutely, man. It was a true pleasure. I appreciate you, Al. All right, everybody. Joel Marion, please come on back after the spot here. My family and I are going to sing a little Christmas carol for everybody, a little Christmas cheer to sign off on 2018. Be right back after a quick spot. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Joel Marion for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was awesome. Please hit me up on Twitter or drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to hear your feedback. 
That's it for this year, guys. I'm going to bring my family in here to sing a little Christmas carol, to bring a little festive Christmas cheer here to the final episode. I got to say thank you so much to all the listeners out there, all the guests that I've had on the podcast. It's been truly a remarkable year for First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, uh, we are not babysitters. We are fathers, and we're not just fathers. We are First Class Fathers. All right, guys, let's do this here. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. The tidings we bring to you and your kin. Good tidings for Christmas and a Happy New Year.